2: This is where we live on Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalbathanshul. Recent federal studies focused on maternal and infant morbidity and mortality rates in the U.S. show risk is growing for mothers and babies in our country compared to other wealthy nations. Factor in disparities in care for people of color and the outcomes are even worse. The CDC finds black women are three times more likely to die from a pregnancy related cause than white women. We spoke with journalist and author Linda Villarosa, who has been writing about the deep disparities in healthcare well before her latest book, Under the Skin, The Hidden Toll of Racism on American Lives and on the Health of Our Nation. Villarosa describes her realization that maternal morbidity and many other racial disparities are due to deeper systemic issues. Let's take a listen.
1: Um, there has never been a time in the history of America where black people's health status was equal to white people's health status. The reason we have Black people have worse health outcomes beginning at birth, which is infant and maternal mortality and morbidity, ending with death, which is life expectancy. Black people used to live 3.5 five years less than white people. And now because of COVID, it's six years less. So usually it's the idea that, oh, it must be something, either something wrong with genetically with black people's bodies or something wrong with our culture. In other words, we have less education. We're not knowing how to take care of ourselves. We're not trying. What I found on the flip side was that of course, everyone should take good care of themselves, but there are structural barriers.
2: Today, where we live, we talk more about the social determinants that impact the health and well being of mothers and communities of color. You can join us 888 720 9677. That's 888 720 WMPR. Share a comment on Facebook or find us on Twitter at where we live. My guest today has nearly three decades in the nursing profession. A nurse midwife and historian, Dr. Lucinda Canty, has researched the health disparities of black women who experienced severe maternal morbidity. Coming up later, we're going to learn about the community she's created for women of color called Lucinda's House. Dr. Lucinda Canty joins us now on Zoom. She's Associate Professor of Nursing at UMass Amherst and is Director of the Health Equity Program. Lucinda, welcome to our show. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. Uh, We played that clip from journalist Linda Villarosa. I'm wondering if you can give us your reaction when she talks about these broader drivers of maternal, maternal morbidity.
0: Yes, and I didn't really understand until I did my own research. When I first started looking into maternal health, I wanted to understand why the rates were so high in the US. And I stumbled across the health disparities that exist, that Black women were three to four times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related cause. And I couldn't understand that. I'm like, I'm a Black woman. When you had your baby, you could have died. And so as I start to ask about it, and even looking at the literature, it said because women were poor, because they were uneducated, they lived in you know, poor areas, they didn't have insurance or they started prenatal care late. And that was the, the picture that I, I received. And when I started to do my own research, I found that a black woman could start prenatal care first trimester, that she could have insurance, she could have PhD degrees, You know she got several of them because we've seen women who died from a pregnancy related cause that had two phds and she could live in the wealthiest area in connecticut and she could still die from a pregnancy related cause and when i start to look deeper i found out that because they had all these resources what could it be and it's the experience of being a black person in this country and racism, a lot of people don't really understand. They think it's just about someone saying something that hurts your feelings, or maybe they gave the job to someone else. But it actually goes deeper than that because you, the person who is experiencing it has to feel and live with that. And when you have to deal with it on an everyday basis, you know, unfortunately, if you're black, you can't say today I'm going to be white or today I'm going to be lighter complexion. We, any space that we show up, we're showing up as a black person. You know, I always tell people, you know, I have degrees. I, you know, have, I live in a nice community, but I'm a black woman first, because that's the first thing people see when I enter society. And that mm-hmm. dictates, unfortunately, the type of healthcare that I receive.
2: When you talk about the healthcare you received personally, you know, as a mother, when you gave birth uh, to your son in 2010, describe that experience and you know, even the systems that you encountered uh, during that pregnancy.
0: Yes, and I can start with when I first found out I was pregnant, I, um, I was between jobs and it was unexpected because I was having some fertility issues. So I became pregnant and I was uninsured and we went to a friend and said, and again, I'm a midwife, I've been a midwife for several years. I worked with people who were uninsured up to those that had insurances that we all wanted, but I found myself uninsured. And I went to a private practice of someone that I knew. And you know, and I had a thousand dollars in my pocket because I was like, how much could a one visit cost? All I want to know was if my baby was okay. And I didn't come in saying, oh, I'm Lucinda, I'm a nurse midwife. I came in as Lucinda Canty. A black woman and I went at the front desk everything was i got a warm greeting and then when they asked for the insurance card i i was like i don't have insurance but i'm looking into it and they were like no we can't see you i'm like but i have money to pay for a visit oh no we can't see you you know because prenatal care is expensive and then the childbirth and the blood work so i left i was distraught i was in imagine i was very early in my pregnancy a pregnancy that I wanted and worked hard to become pregnant, and I was told no. So I wonder what did she see when she saw me? Did she see someone who was trying to play a play the system? Did she see someone who was not worthy of you know quality prenatal care? And I have to turn you know the situation turns around because I called another practice, and I explained to them that I didn't have insurance. You know I'd be willing to pay for the first visit. The person went and talked to the provider and came back and said. Oh, she said, just come in. Don't worry about the insurance. You, We, we know that you could work that out. And I got that visit where I could see my son's heartbeat for the first time. But it was why did I have to go through that to just make sure that my baby was okay? And I had an excellent relationship with my provider, but I also was a nurse midwife and she knew that. So her discussions were different with me. We had discussions about making decisions. You know, I was an older, you know, pregnant woman. So I had to talk about um, genetic screening so we can have a conversation on a different level than someone who doesn't even, has never even heard of testing that could be done. So I do feel that being a midwife protected me even when I went in to have my baby. And that's a whole funny story because when I went in, I had to be induced. I was induced at 37 weeks because my fluid was low And it kind of goes back to Dr. Villarosa's, you know, book about, you know, we're still facing complications because I couldn't understand, you know, why I was having low fluid around my baby. And so, um, you know, when I went in, it was almost like I wasn't seen. You know, people were talking more to my partner than to me. And, you know, he was talking about being in the military. I'm like, "Um, I'm I'm the one who's here about to be induced. I need to know what's (laughs) happening. But then when they found out I was a nurse midwife, everything changed. I started to get a little more attention, people want to know how I was doing. So I've been able to see kind of both sides. You know, I've been in spaces in healthcare where people talk to me like I just barely learned the alphabet. And sometimes I have to throw my weight around. I'm like, Wait a minute, I've been a nurse for how many years? I know what I know what hypertension means. You know, I know what it means. You know, I know what that lab test means. But I realized that when we show up again, people see our color first. And I'm not saying that every provider does that, but I bring that up because when that happens, it does cause a lot of pain. You know, this experience happened to me 13 years ago. And I'm emotions are coming up about how I felt it at that moment. I was so distraught when I left that first provider's office, I almost hit someone with my car in the parking garage. That's how upset I was. And now imagine this 13 years later, I still feel those emotions. And I can even feel like my blood pressure going up. Mm -hmm. So I know that racism does have an impact on our bodies, especially things that we really can't see or we don't really feel symptoms of until it's too late sometimes.
2: Lucinda, I mentioned that you're a researcher and thank you for sharing some of your lived experience with us. Your doctoral dissertation was actually titled It's Not Always Rainbows and Unicorns, The Lived Experience of Severe Maternal Morbidity Among Black Women. So tell us what you learned from your
0: research. Okay, and the first thing that I learned was that no one is talking to black women. When I first started looking in the literature, everything epidemiological studies, statistics, you know but I wanted to know who was behind the numbers so I wanted to talk to women and learn their lived experience because I felt if we're going to address health disparities we have to talk to those <clears throat> excuse me we have to talk to those who are living it if I want to understand why women are dying I want to talk to women who experience life-threatening conditions and what I found was every woman in my study started prenatal care early every woman went to every single prenatal appointment, even attended additional visits for prenatal classes, breastfeeding classes, nutrition classes. So they were doing what they felt was right to make sure they had a healthy baby. What I found out was that women didn't have education about the complications. So they were having warning signs. Like one woman was having a headache, which is a clear kind of classic symptom of preeclampsia, which is a pregnancy induced hypertension disorder that's very serious because it involves every single body organ. She had a severe headache and was driving around because she thought that was part of pregnancy. And she ended up having severe complications where she had seizures and woke up four days later, didn't even realize that she had her baby. And her baby was delivered prematurely and did fine. But she was like, I didn't know the symptoms and I was having all of them. So I found that there's a lot of kind of miseducation about the complications like preeclampsia being, oh, I just thought your, your ankle swelled. I didn't realize that it impacted my liver or kidneys or that I could die. And there was a woman who had cardiomyopathy who did, who was having signs of heart failure and didn't know. So education was a big piece. The relationship with the with the healthcare provider, it was critical for every woman, women who had positive relationships, they felt their providers cared about them. They felt compassion. They, they even worked with their provider to make decisions about their care. So they felt valued in that relationship. Women who had negative relationship with their provider, they felt like they weren't seen or they weren't heard. Like the woman I mentioned who had cardiomyopathy, she had chest pain went to be evaluated, talked about her pain and the provider said, oh, you just have a little angina, go home and sleep. Another provider intervened and it turned out she was in heart failure. She was told that if her heart didn't improve in three months, she was gonna need a heart transplant. Mm-hmm. So she felt like I told them what I was experiencing. And when she when she she said, I did my own research on heart disease, I had all the classic symptoms. So I don't know what where the disconnection was. So that relationship with the healthcare provider is critical because even women who had, again, they didn't know if they were gonna survive. But because they had a strong relationship with their provider they look back on their experience in a more positive light the women who didn't have that connection and some of them still feel their issues have not been resolved and i'm talking about from eight months to 18 years out they feel like they're still dealing with what happened to them but they felt that that relationship they felt like nobody was there on the healthcare team to support them even after experiencing their complication being um, not even explained what happened to them. Just sent home like you're okay and the baby's okay and that's it. But they were traumatized from their experience. One woman told me and and this made me really just feel warm. She said my provider told me that any problem is a big problem. So as soon as she started having signs of preeclampsia she called right away and got in and she feels that that saved her life. So that relationship is critical. And, and I just you. want to touch on the
2: last piece is that- Lucinda, can you hear me? Like, oh, yes. Oh, yeah. Of you and- I'm you, sorry. Um, helped, you, know, you shared a lot of important information with us, also really troubling to hear those incidents. And so this research has led you to launch Lucinda's House. So tell us about that, the, the work that you're doing uh, to not only help educate women, but to help them advocate for, for the care that they should be receiving.
0: Yeah, so Lucinda's House started out of, kind of my learning more about the women's experiences. And we knew that there was a problem and people are still trying to understand, or there's people who still don't believe that there's an issue and that and that Black women are dying and, you know, and the conditions are preventable. So when people don't see how it has to deal with race. So I know people are still trying to learn about the issue, but I feel like we know that it's here. It's been here for years, for centuries. So what can I do from where I'm at? And so I had to think about, you know, what do I have? I said, I have, you know, knowledge. You know, I've been a midwife for almost 30 years. So I said, you know, and this is something I've always been doing was giving people kind of advice. But what part of what Lucinda's House is doing is looking at how I can address things on an individual level and then work up to a structural level. So on an individual level, I provide women education. So if someone comes in and they're like, the doctor wants me to take this, I don't tell them, oh yes or no, do that. What I say is these are the side effects. This is why they're having you take it. These are questions you have to ask your provider because I want to empower them for when they go back to their visit. So I don't wanna make decisions for them. I want them to make their own decisions an informed decision. I want them to have true informed consent when they consent to anything with their provider. The other part to address the structural issues is that I'm gonna have um, what I call kitchen tables. We had one on maternal mortality and from request for women, our next one is going to deal with um, infertility. We have one that's coming up that's gonna talk about even um, pregnancy loss. And these are topics that women feel like no one is really addressing or helping them guide and caring for themselves. But also for pregnant women, I do wanna talk about the potential complications. I wanna talk about how to prepare for childbirth, how to even just prepare for your visit. Women come in so overwhelmed, they have questions and their visits go by so quickly, they don't have a chance to ask their questions. So I tell them to write write it down and what's important to you at this moment in your pregnancy, what's important to you and have them bring that when they go for their visit. And if they have questions about a procedure and because it's so broad and what their providers could bring up to have standard questions so that they can again make that informed decision. And I just want to bring awareness and the community baby showers um, are one way to do that. But I want to find ways to take pressure off of women because it's very stressful to be pregnant, to be a new mom. So even for Mother's Day, we had gift cards that we gave to new moms just to give to them. Because with Lucinda's house, I want to provide non-judgmental support. You know, it's like we can get help or we have questions, but we're made to feel a certain way. When we're even asking our providers for questions or we talk to the nurse we have questions or even when you know we um go to an organization for help you know they want to know who's the baby's father how much money do you make and we want to remove those barriers and those stigmas because it's not only women who are poor we know there's social issues that place us at risk but anyone can be at risk for a pregnancy complication so how do we support them and prepare them so that they can have a good experience in their care? And I've had women say that their relationships with their healthcare provider has improved because they knew how to ask the questions and they saw that their providers responded well to that. So I want to remind our listeners who oh, Lucinda I want
2: to I, remind our listeners uh, who they're hearing. Yes. this is Dr. Lucinda Canty. she's a nurse midwife and associate professor of nursing at the University of Massachusetts Amherst as we talk about uh, maternal health care for women of color in the community that uh, Lucinda has created to help women of color uh, receive the correct care but also to advocate for themselves uh, with this, the structural barriers in medicine and health care that so many communities of color experience. Uh, coming up after the break we're gonna hear more from her and from journalist Linda Villarosa about how deep racial disparities and reproductive health care should be addressed in light of Roe versus Wade's overturning. What questions do you have? You can join us to 888-720-9677 or find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. <laughs> I'm Lucy nalbeth In theory, the United States should have excellent health outcomes, considering it's one of the wealthiest nations in the world. But if you're a person of color, disparities exist, including in maternal health care. That's what we're talking about today, Where We Live. Journalist Linda Villarosa has researched this extensively. Her latest book is Under the Skin, The Hidden Toll of Racism on American Lives and on the Health of Our Nation. Here she is speaking with Where We Live producer Katie Pellico.
1: America is the only wealthy country where the number of women who die or almost die in childbirth is, is continues to increase. Black women are 3 to 4 times more likely to die or almost die. And then what's really striking is even a black woman with a master's degree or more is more likely to have a poor birth outcome than a white woman with an eighth grade education. So that speaks to something beyond even the place where you are. It speaks to something going on happening to Black women, even across class lines. And that really struck me. I think still, it's important for every woman, no matter who you are, to have the best healthcare, to demand that kind of healthcare, to be educated, to have someone like a doula or some other kind of uh, birth partner with you. But at the same time, we can't just put this responsibility of raising our birth status of our country on the backs of individuals themselves, especially those who are pregnant or going undergoing, you know, having a baby. Instead, we have to advocate for changes in the system that make it more equitable.
2: Again, that's journalist Linda Villarosa. With me on Zoom today is Dr. Lucinda Canty, a nurse midwife and associate professor of nursing at UMass Amherst. Uh, Lucinda, I'm wondering if you can respond to what Linda shared and maybe drill down more into when you think about um, issues of access um, and the information gap that you're aiming to close with the community you've created, how this can even go beyond social or financial access. I think we all remember what happened to Serena Williams when she was pregnant
0: yes and that's an important thing to remember is you know you can have access to care but you need access to quality care and what that means is really that you're in an environment where you feel safe where you can talk about your concerns and that you can have a provider that spends the time making sure you understand what's happening pregnancy is very scary especially the first time you're pregnant you don't know like what things are right, what things are wrong. And then you have people who always want to give you advice. But when you're in the system, and I just want to say, like now more than ever, you know, looking at the overturning of Roe versus Wade, we need to have safe spaces for anyone who enters healthcare, for everyone, but particularly for women of color. Because again, there's so many things that we have that are kind of um influencing how we can care for ourselves. And you know, and I again I love that. You know, um, Linda Villarosa said how all women need to kind of be prepared and take care of themselves. And we have to look at the social issues. And there are so many things like access to care. Like I think about when I went in for that first visit, why not have a quick visit that I just see and that everyone makes sure that I'm okay, and that I'm safe when I leave? You know, why do I have to fill out 100 things for paperwork before I can just have a prenatal visit? Even with calling for a visit, Sometimes you can have concerns about your baby and it's difficult to get an appointment that same day. So we know that women end up in the emergency room because of that. So I think that we have to look at those pieces of care and stop doing things the same, the way that we've been doing them for years and start to look at how can we do do things to improve access. We we hear of women who go in for their prenatal visit. Um, I was talking to a woman who, um, a Native American woman, who's not in the state of Connecticut, but she told me how when she went for a visit, people were asking her about drugs several times, asking her about alcohol use, and that wasn't her experience. So she stopped going for several visits because of how she felt that visit. So we, again, we have to look at those pieces of care that are happening. How do we hold people accountable? How do we educate providers so that they can provide culturally responsive care, just so that people, again, feel safe? And even when you have, even when you're experiencing complications, if you know that you have someone there that's really working in your best interest, it makes the experience of care better, but it also helps you to look at things that you can do to improve your health. So Lucinda, we just need that. I'm
2: wondering, that. If you, Lucinda, I'm wondering if you can maybe share some experiences of some of the women uh, that you're helping here in Connecticut. Um, obviously no names, but in terms of, you know, the kind of women that are coming to you, what kind of questions they have and how you're helping them through this community you've created, you know, to, you know, maybe push back uh, when they feel like something's wrong with their provider is not hearing them or seeing them.
0: Yes and um there's so many oh my god there's so many um examples that i can use one comes to mind where um there was a doula who reached out to me and had a patient who was in labor and she said she the patient's first baby she was progressing very nicely and the pro the provider came and checked her and said oh we have to start thinking about a cesarean section and, you know, the patient wanted to know why. And she, they said, because they use CPD, which is basically means that the baby's head is too big for the pelvis. So the doula called me saying, you know, I don't know the patient doesn't know what to do. You know, she's very nervous. So I just asked, is she doing okay? Is the baby doing okay? So I said, well, the next time the provider comes in, just ask them, what was what did they find clinically that made them come to that conclusion? And why should cesarean be the um, only alternative? What are her other options? So when the provider came in and she asked these questions, the provider, first of all, was a little shocked, a little taken back that even that his recommendation was questioned, but then he was like, well, it's only because you're taking so long. And, and, And she said, well, I'm willing to wait. And she ended up having the baby two hours later, vaginally, a nine pound healthy baby. And she felt so empowered But she was really considering a cesarean because she thought there was something wrong. So again, it's not about telling her what to do Mm -hmm. because I'm not there. And I feel it's important for the person to make their own decisions because they have to live with those decisions. And so, but just to see how she felt about it. And also too, how the doula was able to see this experience as well. So we don't have to let things be the way they are. And we do know cesareans are necessary. But it's just are they are they necessary for that situation? And she just asked the right questions and it turned out that she had time that they could wait and let the baby happen, you know, vaginally. Because we also have to look at cesarean is major surgery and impacts any other pregnancy she has after, not only the risk with this pregnancy, but her future pregnancies as well.
2: That's an important point, uh, Lucinda. And, you know, so often when we talk about maternal health care, you know, the emphasis, of course, is on prenatal care. But what about the postpartum care and the, you know, your lived experience as well as the experiences of the women you're helping in terms of connecting them uh, to people that can help? We've mentioned doulas several times. Doulas, I mean, I know when I was pregnant, not covered by my insurance. And so even having that access uh, to a person to help uh, the mother even after birth.
0: Yes. And I can start by sharing my own experience. First, you know, as a midwife, I always gave the baby to someone else. And I was like, okay, bye, see you at your postpartum checkup. But then it was like my turn. And first I was like, I have to bring this baby home with me by myself. You know, I have my partner, I have my mom, but it was like, you know, it was still overwhelming. And then when they went back to work, I was terrified. So I wanted to have a doula. And to even just have one, I think initially it was gonna be like $900. I was, I was again, I was between jobs, you know, and I didn't have insurance. I didn't have $900. And so um, I couldn't, I didn't have the doula. So I had to pretty much suffer in silence. I was overwhelmed. I know that my mood was impacted. I would even probably say, I think I had depression, but again, I didn't know who to talk to. I didn't know what was normal or what was not. So I, I know how those feelings can be, postpartum period is very overwhelming. You know, you have to care for yourself because your body is still healing. Your body went through changes for practically 10 months. So your body has to heal, you gotta take care of yourself and then you have the baby there. And we know that most women will take care of the baby and leave their own needs aside. And so doulas are, they're, they're not medical professionals but they are trained in providing support and education you know, throughout the pregnancy, childbirth and postpartum, there's even doulas who specialize like in bereavement, or who can, um, you know, provide other services for women to support them, I should say birthing people. But it's like you do need that support. And we know that they're saying about 50% of complications happen during the postpartum period, and can happen up to one year postpartum. So that's a long time, but that's how long it takes for the body to heal and fully recover. Again, pregnancy is hard on the body. So we have to do the right things, but sometimes we don't know what that means. It's so overwhelming. So any support is necessary.
2: Earlier, you mentioned Roe v. Wade. I wanted to play another clip from journalist Linda Villarosa, who says uh, the overturning of Roe v. Wade is really a we all know, a crucial moment, but also provides an opportunity. Let's hear her.
1: Too long, we looked at reproductive health as just the right to have an abortion. But reproductive justice is different and more expansive. This was a Black-led movement that was started about 20 or 30 years ago. And um, the policies or the, the idea behind it is threefold. One, that every person has the right to have a baby. So that means we can't be sterilized against our will or without our knowledge, which is part of the history of our country, especially for Black women. It also means we have the right not to have a child. And then the final step is that we have the right to have a child, to raise a child if we choose to have one in a safe and healthy environment. So that is one way to move forward from this is to look at um, birthing and birth justice from a, a more expansive, a larger lens so that we are looking at not just women and birthing people, but we're also looking at um, children and families. And we're saying there must be equality and equity for all people.
2: Linda, well, could you respond to Linda?
0: Yes. Um, in roe versus wade people focus only on abortion but it's much more than that it's about trusting people to understand their own bodies and be able to make decisions without anyone's input you know provide me education but you don't know more about what's going on with my body than i do and in this country especially among black and brown people and and i'm going to focus on women black women who were enslaved never had control over their bodies from the very beginning that their feet, even through the Middle Passage, but when their feet entered was on this land, did not have control. You know, there were women who were bred, who were experimented on. So it, it goes deep because even though these are things that happened in slavery, when I heard the overturning of Roe versus Wade, I thought about, you know, we're going back to not having control. Even though I feel like we never fully had it, but I feel felt like we're going backwards instead of moving forward. And I think giving people that freedom Again, people talk about abortion, but it's more than that. It's being able to talk about what happens to your body. And I think even young people, that's why I love that she said this, young people, children need to know and understand that these are their bodies. And I think from a very early age that they have, if they have ownership, then they learn how to protect it. And then it can lead to less victimization by the system. But I think that we have to send that message that you know, we understand what's happening to our bodies, we have the right even if we make a decision that could possibly cause harm to ourselves, it's our decision. And we're the ones who have to live with that. So and I I always think about who is making the decisions about our bodies. Think about who was involved with overturning, you know, Roe versus Wade. There's no one who knows my experience. They definitely don't know my experience as a black woman. But they don't understand my reproductive experience either. So they really have no right to make any decisions that impact how I can care for myself.
2: Uh, You mentioned earlier in the show, Lucinda, you you shared with us the stress you carried um, from uh, your first experience uh, having a child. Uh, Linda Villarosa talks about this concept called weathering, getting beyond issues of access, class, or geography, but that inequality can have harmful effects on the body. And so uh, when we hear that uh, concept and thinking about the work that you're doing, I'm wondering if you can elaborate more.
0: Yes, the weathering and I can even I can say through my own lived experience, but also those that um, are close colleagues of mine close friends is that I can, I can go I can go all the way back I can go all the way back to kindergarten but I won't go that far back. But I remember at a very young age, realizing that I was being treated differently, because of my skin color. And when you're in your educational program. I can start with my, with nursing school, midwifery school. You always carry that with you where you do have to work twice as hard and you still may not get anywhere. You work twice as hard and there's a, pro, a promotion, um, a position that opens up a good promotion for you. And then you apply for it. And you're You're given excuses to why you didn't get that position. And then someone who doesn't even have half the experience that you have gets the position. Those are all things, and you have to show up for work because you you know you can't just leave that job right now. So you have to you have to be able to kind of suppress sometimes what you experience so that you can survive. You know, even as a midwife, I remember providing care, and then I have you know um, people making comments, you know, about the patients, about me, but I have to focus on caring for the woman, and so I have to suppress that. I have to live with that you know, the stress of that. Because I couldn't even deal with it now at that moment because I will lose my job. So you suppress it so that you can provide safe care. Um, I'll never forget one patient where a nurse said something to me and the patient was like, what's wrong with her? And I said, you know what, we don't have to worry about that. I want to make sure that this baby, that you your labor continues and deliver her baby. I had to suppress that. But when you know that you're going into environments where you know that you're going to be treated differently You're going to be experiencing these things. You're going to have limited opportunities, access to resources, people just, you know, disclosing, not disclosing things to you that can even just help, you know, you provide better care to those you serve. It's like you have to live with that. It's a heavy burden, a heavy burden. And then it's like before you even have time to heal from that. You going on to the next day and you're dealing with newer experiences where you even go into the grocery store you go into any store and you're treated differently you know imagine you're going to a store and you work hard all your life you have extra money i want to buy something nice and somebody's following you around the store like you're going to steal so it's like we we don't get a break from that and people don't think about what that does to our bodies and wears us down you know and then we're caring for other people we're caring for our families we're caring for our friends so it just continues to build up, and you know sometimes there's no release because you don't know who to talk to about it. You know, when you talk when you're experiencing you know racism, sometimes you're like thinking, "Is that my imagination?" until you talk with other people, and they're like, "Oh yeah, I have that experience." And then you realize that you're not alone. And for me, that's been very healing because when I realized I was not alone, then I was able to work at developing things that could prevent anyone from feeling a certain way and feeling whatever I can do to take away that pressure, especially to someone who's pregnant, I'm going to do it.
2: You're hearing Dr. Lucinda Canty here on Where We Live. She's a nurse midwife researcher and historian. Also, she's a creator of Lucinda's House, which uh, exists as a community for women of color uh, to help them feel supported, safe, and also to help them become advocates and active part eliminating the structural barriers um, to making sure that they have healthy outcomes and improved well-being. She's associate professor of nursing at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. She's also an artist and poet. We're gonna talk more about her artwork right after a short break. You can join us, find us on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. This is Where We Live, I'm Lucy Nalpethanchel. We've been talking about reproductive healthcare for women of color, a group that experiences deep disparities in care, and worse outcomes than other ethnic groups. Again, researchers have found black women are three times more likely to die from a pregnancy-related cause than white women. With me on Zoom, Dr. Lucinda Canty, a nurse midwife and associate professor of nursing at UMass Amherst. She's director of the health equity program there. When we think about health care and access to care, even in our state, Lucinda, um, I'm wondering if you can talk about your research and observations when we think about rural health care. I'm thinking about several stories about birthing units in our state um, that have sought to end labor and delivery services. Most recently, Johnson Memorial Hospital in Stafford Springs. Can you respond?
0: Yes. Um, and And can you imagine that of someone going in labor and being two hours away from their hospital? It's very scary. It's very scary. So I, you know, and I don't know the details about why the unit is closing. So I can't touch on that but i do know and this is also why like we're we're doing community baby showers and we're looking at different areas throughout Connecticut to host them because we want to be able to bring education and support but there are issues with you know maternal complications with people not accessing prenatal care you know so we really need to make sure that we have the resources available to them and i think it's just very scary for someone to think about if something happens to me you know is you know how long will it take me to get there so we that's just something that we have to consider and think about more
2: Policymakers, when we think about the the efforts that they can uh, pass in in the General Assembly, what the governor can do. you know, Recently, Governor Lamont announced that the extended Medicaid or Husky and the Children's Health Insurance Program or CHIP, that affects roughly 4,000 residents. And so I'm wondering if you can talk about even that extension and what more policymakers can do, Lucinda.
0: Oh, yes, I think that's extremely important. And I was so glad to hear that it extended to a year Because when when women deliver, they're only given that six week checkup. And if they don't have insurance, again, the focus goes on the baby. It doesn't go on themselves. So if if they have to worry about paying for that visit or knowing who to call. And unfortunately, we have people who end up in the emergency room. They should be able to have a provider. They shouldn't get to that point. They should have a provider that they can feel comfortable calling four months out, six months out, even before that year is up. They can even have like a, maybe an annual checkup, a wellness visit before that year is over. So I'm very proud and happy about that being passed. And I can already see the impact that it can have because now people are not just thinking, okay, um, I have my six week checkup, they're done with me, I'm done with them. They know they can continue that relationship with their healthcare provider. And hopefully it will turn into a connection that can you know, last for several visits several years after. But I also want, you know, doulas to be covered. I think that doulas are working in the community and especially doulas of color, there's, there are throughout Connecticut. And um, and this is what also Lucinda's House wants to highlight is the resources that are available in the community. So there, I found out there's doulas in every pocket of Connecticut, but their, their services are not often covered by insurance. There are programs like New Haven Healthy Start that will pay for doulas from pregnancy, childbirth and postpartum, but not a lot of people know about those services. I know Hartford Hospital has a program, but again, people who, people are like, they have their baby and then they're like, oh, I didn't know I could have had a doula. So we have to change that by increasing awareness, but also letting their insurance companies cover, you know, those visits. I'm always looking at prevention and I'd rather have someone have that education and support that could prevent complications down the line.
2: When we think about access to doulas and insurers not paying or covering that, you know, why is that, Lucinda? Are there any states where there has been you know, improvements there in terms of the access to doulas for women pre and postpartum?
0: Yes, and I'm not sure the reasons why. I think mostly because people don't know about doulas and know the impact that they can have. It, they it, they have been shown to decrease um cesarean rates, increase breastfeeding rates, and even just offer support through women um during that postpartum period so they can even pick up on signs of postpartum depression. But also when we look at prevention, it, that support prevents those kind of those um postpartum depression and other things that we're that's what we're finding. So I do know that there are certain states like Rhode Island that um have access to doulas. I spoke to someone in the Virginia area who also services DC because their maternal mortality rates were through the roof, one of the highest in the country, and they were able now to provide to receive payment, Medicaid payment, so they can start following them during pregnancy all the way through the postpartum period. So they are showing that they can it can be helpful, that it can be beneficial to the woman. Mm. So, you know, Connecticut, I feel like we're moving in that direction We're looking at doula certification. I'm gonna be sitting on a board that looks at um, how, you know, what that process will be, you know, what kind of education would they have to have to um, be certified in the state of Connecticut. And we're just hoping that that can move towards them being recognized by insurance companies and being reimbursed.
2: Lucinda, I'd mentioned uh, you are obviously a reproductive health justice activist, but you're also an artist and poet. And some of your artwork was part of your dissertation. Uh, Tell us about those paintings. Uh, Listeners can see um, some of your work at ctpublic.org slash where we live, but about the artwork that you you included and the significance.
0: Yeah, so the methodology that I used, Van Mana's Phenomenology, it not only allowed me to capture their themes with words, I was able to use artistic expression as well. So the artwork, um, especially of the pregnant women, came out of my study. It was it's based on what women told me about their experience. And art is one of those things that I use to alleviate stress, to help with you know, anxiety. So it was something that's always been very important to me. And my dissertation gave me the opportunity to use it. And the most gratifying thing was showing the women in my study my artwork and them seeing themselves and their experiences. That was so gratifying that they said I captured what they told me. And so I share my artwork and that's even something that I'm hoping to incorporate into Lucinda's House is how people do art and poetry. Um, for Black Maternal Health Week, we had an art and poetry um, show at Samilla um, Cafe, where people, because I have to also say with Lucinda's House, I have a team of people who are supporting me from the community. So they were able to share their artwork. We had someone share poetry and I shared poetry, but art is such a nice way to just express. I feel like I express myself better in art and poetry sometimes than I do at public speaking, but it's just, and I just love like when people see it, the responses that they have Mm -hmm. and it's always positive. And that's what I want my work to kind of um, produce.
2: I wanted to end on some of the work again that you're doing through Lucinda's house. You'd mentioned these community baby showers. I understand there was one in July in the Waterbury area. There's some coming up in Bridgeport, New Haven, Hartford. Can you tell us about them?
0: Yeah, so we're going to have them all the way up until November. And there are some communities that are even reaching out like New London and Middletown that we may be um, trying to squeeze a few in there. But with the baby shower we just want to celebrate we really are focusing on black and on brown birthing people we really want to celebrate pregnancy and then just because i feel like sometimes we're always looking at the negative pieces but there's so many positive things especially in our communities you know i go way back to traditional midwives and there's always been a sense of community even when they didn't have the resources there was always community support People looked out for each other, took care of other children, you know, other people's children, especially when someone was giving birth. So I just want to bring that community feel back. And so not only are we focusing on celebrating women, we're having people who are in the community doing good things to support, you know, pregnancy and childbirth and even postpartum. We're having them also participate and be a part of this.
2: Right. It should and be. A I joyful have to tell you, time. the
0: support has mm-hmm. been overwhelming.
2: You've been hearing Dr. Lucinda Canty here on Where We Live. For listeners who want to learn more about her work through Lucinda's House, you can go to lucindashouse.org. Lucinda, again, is a nurse midwife, associate professor of nursing at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. It's a pleasure to hear from you about your research and the work that you're doing. Uh, Lucinda, we thank you for your time today on the show.
0: Thank you for having me.
2: I'm Lucy Nopithanchil, today's show produced by Katie Pellico. Our technical director is Kat Pastor. Coming up tomorrow, we're going to focus on health again. This time, new research shows high blood pressure during pregnancy, consumption of highly processed foods, even the loss of smell, all indicators of cognitive decline. On the next Where We Live, we'll hear about new developments in treating Alzheimer's. That conversation tomorrow.